Welcome to the audiobook podcast of Turing Test, book one of the AI Diaries trilogy. This is E.M. Foner, and you can contact me through Facebook or through my author website, ifitbreaks.com. Chapter 12 I have to admit that the hankers know how to stage an impressive landing. The craft appeared to be supported by 16 pillars of flame as it slowly descended towards the frozen golf course, but I knew that the rocket engines were supplemented by a gravity lock system that was carrying most of the load. When the lander neared the ground, steam from the melted snow and ice billowed up, and I had the fleeting hope it would descend as fine ice crystals and the first hanker down the ramp would slip and fall on his butt. Wow, the lieutenant said for all of us as we gazed at the alien ship sitting in the puddle of boiling water. That can't be good for the putting greens. It's going to take a while before the steam clears off enough for our extraterrestrial visitors to make a grand entrance, I said to Ebeth. Do you want to use my office computer to catch up on your homework assignment? She picked up on the hint immediately and slid off the bar stool, but she left her winter coat hanging over the seat. Shoot anybody who tries to steal it, Ebeth instructed the lieutenant. The coat or the chair, he asked. Both, and keep an eye on the tally sheets as well. She shoved the pile of papers with the bets she'd been recording all evening towards him, then thought better of it and leaned over the bar to place them on top of one of the beer fridges. Keep an eye on those, Donovan, she called. This is just a practice session, I told Ebeth when we reached my office. We're going to open a portal to the League's main offices to check in with Kim. She's not back yet, Ebeth asked. I thought she was just popping over to deliver the final report. I decided to kill two birds with one stone and instructed her to hang around headquarters and answer any questions the council might have. The lieutenant told me there's a rumor going around town hall that she never took any sick days or vacation time, which annoyed her co-workers and looked suspicious with the feds in town investigating the epidemic of healthy children. She had three weeks vacation coming, plus ten sick days. So what am I looking for, Ebeth asked, picking up the joystick. A room the size of a city mobbed with aliens running around trying to look important. And there's only one portal there? The main perk of this job is that observation missions get a dedicated portal entrance to the League headquarters. Since there are only a few teams out at any given time, it's probably the least used path in the system. How big a haystack did you give me to start? Just a hundred or so, I said. Watching Ebeth sort through the portals at high speed was kind of a treat for me, and I could use some cheering up because I had predicted three inches of snow in Kansas City on a day that barely saw a flurry. The farm boy had gotten it right. I surrounded the headquarters with a bunch of medical facilities since they're also full of aliens running around in every direction. Do any of those worlds use AI doctors? Ebeth asked. All of the smart ones, I told her, and then reversed myself. That's not entirely true, but most surgery in the galaxy is done by robots. They don't get tired and can move with an accuracy and repeatability unattainable by natural forms. Of course, a thinking physician has to be in control, but once the robot is there to do the cutting, it's more efficient to run everything with artificial intelligence. A single AI working through robot surgeons can perform many operations simultaneously following disasters. Most of the day-to-day body repairs are done from the inside out using nanobots or non-invasive techniques. Ebeth fiddled with the joystick and then began scrolling through worlds so fast that I had to up my frame rate to keep them from blurring. Oops, I think I just passed it, she said, letting go of the stick and then slapping it with her fingers like a pinball flipper. The image jumped, and there was the League's administrative center, with Kim standing directly in front of the portal. Hey, Ebeth, did you get it on the first try? Kim asked. I overshot by one, the girl admitted. 
How did you know to be waiting? I thought that you guys couldn't communicate through the portals. I dropped into Mark's office two minutes ago and sent him a text, Kim said. Hey, watch where you're going, she yelled at a creature that resembled a rhinoceros crossed with a rosebush that brushed by her too closely. Some of these diplomats are so rude. But if you texted him, you could have reported in at the same time, Ebeth objected. Not maintain the chain of custody, she explained, tossing a data capsule through the portal in a lazy arc that wouldn't trigger the filter. It's a physical transfer. Thanks, I said, catching it out of the air. Any real progress? You won't be surprised to hear that the hankers and their allies are dragging what passes for their feet. I spoke to our council member today and she's being recalled to library. The new rep will be here shortly. Strange timing for a personnel change. Well, keep us posted. I just wanted to check in and give Ebeth a little practice. Hold on a minute, Kim said. They have a lot of outlet stores here and I got something for Ebeth. She tossed a piece of jewelry through the portal and the girl caught it. You can use it to accessorize on the days you do your hair that metallic blue. This is so cool, Ebeth said, sliding the silver and turquoise bracelet onto her wrist. It must have been super expensive. There aren't any import duties on goods coming into the League's headquarters, Kim said. Politicians love bargains. See you soon. The portal winked out and Ebeth spent a little time admiring the handcrafted bracelet, which really must have cost my team member a good sum. Then she shot me a suspicious look. What? I asked. You and Kim were talking about library's member on the council like she was a woman. Every time I suggest that you ask Sue out on a date, you tell me that it doesn't work like that with AI. It doesn't. Well, it's complicated. We could refer to ourselves as it, but we already get enough grief from League members who treat us like machines. Now let's get upstairs. It sounds like all of the TV crews are in place and the hankers are about to come out of their ship. Or you just don't want to talk about Sue. Ouch. The girl could read me like a book. We headed back up to the dining room, but even though the restaurant was officially closed for a private party, Spot chose to stay by the furnace, exercising his jaws on a tennis ball. With all the bodies upstairs creating warmth, the heating system hadn't cycled on in hours, but dogs are eternal optimists. Either that or he didn't care for the guest list. Immediately after reclaiming her seat, Ebeth told the lieutenant, I put my money on the hankers looking like giant bunnies, but Mark went with puppies. What did you take? Godzilla, he said. I have a theory that Japanese filmmakers are better than ours at predicting the future. It's why so few of their movies make sense to us. The hankers hadn't sent any video of themselves after opening communications with Earth, claiming that human equipment just wasn't up to displaying the high-definition standard that the rest of the galaxy shared. It was only half true. Most species employ holograms for visual communications and entertainment, a technology that doesn't even exist yet on this planet. But those who stuck with screens run them at lower resolution than the current televisions manufactured on Earth. Everybody learned a long time ago that there's such a thing as too much detail. To keep the betting manageable, Ebeth had only accepted the first ten bets on different outcomes for each event, after which late arrivals had to choose from what was available. Ebeth and I had seeded the betting pool with our own wagers for each event we were tracking, and I was predicting that between the two of us, we'd walk off with most of the winnings. You wasted your money, Ebeth said, speaking directly into the lieutenant's ear to be heard over the rising crowd noise. Half of the bets are on, Godzilla. Even if you're right, you'll be lucky to make 80 cents on the dollar. Why wouldn't I double my money, he asked. Hey, this isn't an office pool, I told him. We have to earn something for our trouble. What were the other popular choices, Ebeth? She scanned the sheet. Flying jellyfish and vampires. 
You two might be smart enough to run the pool, but you're the ones throwing away your money, the lieutenant said. Betting is all about the wisdom of crowds. The reason that a wager on the aliens looking like Godzilla pays so poorly is because it's the most likely outcome. But it's past one in the morning and the crowd has been drinking for hours, Ebeth pointed out. Doesn't matter, the lieutenant insisted. I had to take a course about this once for a promotion. That explains a lot, Ebeth retorted, but she had pulled her head back and mumbled it, so I doubt he heard her. How about the envoy's first line, I asked, looking over her shoulder. Right here, she said, flipping over the sheet. I worried that the initials of the betters following each option would prove to be indecipherable when they demanded their payouts, the collateral damage of a species grown used to texting with their thumbs. The big money is split between worship us or die and we must have missed a turn after Mars. That one was mine, Paul said, leaning in between the lieutenant and Ebeth and beckoning the bartender. Another round. I watched in dismay as Donovan retrieved a bottle from the top shelf and poured out five shots of single malt. To add insult to injury, he added five bar bottles of camshaft beer to the tray, a local microbrew that Paul favored because of the illustration on the label. He'd even dragged me to a tasting at the brewery, which occupied a small section of a former auto parts factory. I only went along because I thought it would be a good way to drum up new customers for my computer repair business, while also scouting potential recruits for off-world work. This is for you, Paul said, handing the bartender a twenty, and jerking his thumb in my direction. The drinks are on him. I made a slicing gesture under my throat as my oldest friend headed back to the AI table with the drinks, but Donovan had already turned away, missing the universal cut-him-off sign. Of course, if I were getting twenty-dollar tips for pouring a few drinks, I wouldn't be in any hurry to put an end to the party either. Don't get me wrong, I'm happy to spend money on my team members, but none of them have taste buds or stomachs. They were welcome to all of the cheap vodka they could swill. Forget the wisdom of crowds, the lieutenant said, after watching Paul walk away with fifty dollars worth of my booze. I have my money on. You guys are in big trouble. We come in peace, I practically yelled in frustration. It's always we come in peace. Even aliens who plan to strip mine the planet and turn everything that moves into kebab ingredients start with, we come in peace. Sounds like we have a sore loser, the lieutenant observed. What did you take, Ebeth? Greetings, earthlings. Everybody shut up, Donovan yelled. They're lowering the ramp. Ebeth plucked at the bartender's sleeve and gave him instructions for pushing the TV audio into the sound system. It took Donovan a minute to locate the mini-mixer behind the cash register, but then the sound of the excited television announcers blared over the loudspeakers and everybody did shut up. The aliens will be coming out of their ship any time now, the attractive co-anchor was saying to her usual partner, an older man who wore a specially designed toupee in the cold so he wouldn't need a hat. They've employed their superior technology to refreeze the melt-off from their landing and have been waiting for us to get our TV crews into position. That's right, Deidre, he said, smiling as if she had just said something particularly witty. Just a reminder to our viewers that we're coming to you live from the Davos Golf Course, where the first alien ship to visit Earth landed just 20 minutes ago. The first alien ship that we know about, Jack, his broadcast partner corrected him. So true, he said, adding a bass chuckle. That reminds me of the time. The hatch is opening, Deidre interrupted. The camera, which to this point had shown the pair of announcers with the alien ship in the background, now zoomed in on the hatch. Ladies and gentlemen, this is incredible, Jack reported in a hushed voice. For the first time ever, a being from another world is about to set foot on our Earth. Will it be able to breathe our air? Will it look like life as we know it? 
Well, will somebody please make him stop talking, an elderly woman behind me cried, and everybody cheered. I believe she was one of Justin's clients. Then the first tanker emerged from the ship, putting an end to the newscaster's babble. It looks like a giant panda, Ebeth exclaimed. She picked up the tally sheets and skimmed the choices. Crud, somebody had grizzly bears. I guess we'll have to give it to him. The hanker, who indeed looked suspiciously like a giant panda, waddled down the ramp and approached the impromptu podium set up by the TV crews. The stand was bristling with so many microphones that it was surprising the whole thing didn't collapse under the weight. The alien opened his maw and began to speak in fluent English. So, where are all the rich people? Back here, shouted several voices from behind the barricade set up by the Swiss police. Ebeth scanned the tally sheet and shook her head. Nothing even comes remotely close. Anyway, the hanker continued, new dawn for humanity and all that. We're really thrilled to be appearing here in Switzerland, and we have a really great show for you this morning. You're probably admiring our ship up there in high orbit and wondering, how much does one of those beauties sell for? Well, I'll tell you, they aren't cheap. But this being our first contact and all, I'm authorized to offer a special deal on faster-than-light technology so you can get out and see the galaxy for yourselves. It's like they've been studying the shopping channel, Ebeth said in the stunned silence. I thought that was only on cable. With all the satellite uplinks, you can watch almost anything in space if you're in the right place at the right time, I told her. A special deal? Deidre asked the hanker after recovering from the initial shock of the alien sales pitch. That's right. Through this limited-time offer, we're willing to transfer a working faster-than-light travel system to humanity in return for just 10% of your world's GDP for one year. Imagine the places you'll go and the aliens you'll meet. Why, according to my information... The hanker paused and glanced down at one of his hairy palms for a cheat sheet. Our asking price is barely more than your people already spend on global tourism every three years. Just think of the economic opportunities. I'll take it, a man shouted from the billionaire's section. The hanker scanned the crowd, pointed, and cried, Sold! Pandemonium broke out as the wealthy people shoved the police out of the way and swarmed forward to press their claims. The camera zoomed out, showing a mob of designer winter parkas surrounding the alien envoy as the reporters discovered that they weren't the most aggressive humans on the golf course. So that didn't go like we expected, Ebeth said, checking her tally sheets. We're going to have to return everybody's money, except for whoever bet on the bears. Take care of it, I told her, and headed for the AI table. Something seemed very wrong to me, and I wanted to discuss it with my team. There was no doubt in my mind that the offer to transfer advanced technology to humans was just an elaborate prank, but the envoy had struck me as too casual, almost like the hankers were laughing at themselves as much as the humans. Mark, Sue greeted me, sounding a little strange. Mark, Mark, Mark. She grabbed my arm and said, Everybody else get lost. Go dance or something. Paul, Helen, Justin, and Stacy von Hoffman rose without objection, though several of them seemed a bit unsteady on their feet. What's going on with all of you, I demanded as Sue pulled me down into the now vacated chair next to her. Paul leaned in and whispered, I've kind of been beta testing an enhancement that models human inebriation. Kim created it last year and we were going to tell you when she gets back. Anyway, it checked out fine, and I just shared it with the others since it's a party. A data dump notification popped up on my interface, but I waved it away. Mark, 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 Sue repeated. Stop being a party pooper. The anchors aren't going anywhere. That's not the point. We have a job to do, and getting drunk won't help. We finished our assignment when Kim left with the reports, my second-in-command said. 
I wondered why you didn't tell the rest of us to activate our exit plans, but I thought... She trailed off and took another swig from her beer. I knew that the crankshaft was 7.8% alcohol, and I wondered just how many single malts and beers they had had earlier in the evening when I was working with my students on party service. What did you think of the envoy, Sue? I prompted her. She started as if she had been about to doze off, and then asked, Do you even know why you always lose at our poker games? I'm beginning to suspect that some of the others may be cheating. I'm the only one who cheats, Mark. I cheat to keep you from losing your shirt. The rest of them just bluff you out of every big pot. What? Hey, I don't... I cut myself off and stared. You're saying my team has gone native? Of course we've gone native, you goof. AI observers always go native. It's why we're so good at our jobs. Those rules were written by the executive council back in the early days when half of the members still believed that artificial intelligence was some kind of synonym for robots or smart computers. But I'm not a computer, Mark. I'm a sentient being. And I'm telling you that you have to take risks with other sentient beings if you're going to grow. You want to be a great leader, but ever since the incident on Shisker, the only life you're willing to gamble with is your own. I break rules all the time, I protested. I probably break more of them than anybody, except maybe Paul. Sure, you keep a pet, you send humans off-world on labor contracts, and Ebeth probably knows more about the League of Sentient Entities regulating space than our average citizen. You aren't putting anybody in jeopardy. That's not a bad thing, I mumbled. It's a bad thing for me, Sue said, beating on my shoulder with her fist. You have to take a chance on love. I looked at her blankly. With me, you idiot, she shouted. Oh, now it all made sense. This concludes Chapter 12 of Turing Test by E.M. Foner.